about what we might do. I had offered you several lessons in the recent days in regard to the closing hours of the life of Jesus leading up to and through the grave. And I thought, I kind of like to offer you some lessons on Sunday evening that have some continuity to them. And I was studying in 2 Corinthians the other day and hadn't really looked at it in a while and was studying in 2 Corinthians. It came to this point and I thought, you know, this is grassroots Christianity. You begin, it really begins his lessons in chapter 4 in this book, and we'll come to that in just a minute. But, uh, and I'll tell you about that and why in that regard. But I want us to think about that in the, in the coming weeks and some of the things that follow after this because I think there's a lot here about our lives that are, that are vital and fitting, and this is where we're going to begin this evening. If you've got your Bible open, you look to it, and it says, Therefore, Therefore, since we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we do not lose heart. But we have renounced the hidden things of shame, not walking in craftiness nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. But even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ, Jesus our Lord, and ourselves, your bondservants, for Jesus' sake. For it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. As I said, I want to really just emphasize this evening that first verse, but I want to give you all six of them, and we'll hit some of the points in that later. But that idea, in grassroots Christianity, go into it with the idea we're not going to lose heart. I was thinking, just driving down here, and I, and I don't know where the game went after that, but before I left home, before I left home, the, the Houston Texans were, were playing against the Kansas City Chiefs. And if you're football fans you, and saw the beginning of the game, it just looked like Houston was going to run away with the game. They scored three touchdowns and a field goal in a hurry. There were mistakes on the part of Kansas City. didn't look like they were going to do anything right. I was out of the room for a little while, maybe five, ten minutes, and I came back into the room, and suddenly the game was no longer 24 to nothing, but 24 to 21. And I think, you know, when you get 24 points down in a football game, you begin to think, what's the point? Can we ever come back from this? Well, we know teams have, but chances get pretty slim, and then suddenly it turns around. And you know what? It comes down to you don't lose heart. I didn't have planned to say that, but it just came to mind when I was thinking about this. So I want us to think about this 2 Corinthian letter because it's one we don't spend nearly as much time with. We spend a lot of time with 1 Corinthians and the questions and the problems that were there, and we recognize this church, and Paul had spent time with this church. He knew these people. They knew him. He knew their problems. They confronted him. They addressed him. They dealt with some other things. There were, there were a lot of things that went on in Corinth, and Corinth was an unusual city. 
it was kind of a double seaport place because you've got people from, from the Adriatic and the Aegean Seas both coming through Corinth and dealing with it. At, at one time, they even they would roll cargo across, take it off a ship on one side, roll it to the other side, and, there, and a lot of people. It was one of those kinds of cities of every kind of thing in the world went on there. So it was rough, intelligent, troubled, just a challenging place to live. And as Paul writes to them, you begin to get that idea about the people there. But probably some of the most interested and interesting people you would ever meet. And so Paul spends some time with them. He teaches them. He studies them. And then he writes to them. He addresses the problems. And he, and he confronts that throughout that first letter. Writes so many things to them. And then even answers the questions that they've got. And really presses home some wonderful, wonderful teaching that you don't find uh, paralleled exactly in many other places. And some of it no other place in the scriptures outside of the, the, uh, the teaching of Jesus and the, and the means that were given in that in the broader spectrum of things. But if you notice when we began our reading just a moment ago, chapter 4 as we divide it begins with the word therefore. And when you find the word therefore it means that something has gone before or what is about to be said. It said, now you've got to know what went before to pay attention to what's after that. In the first three chapters of 2 Corinthians, Paul is really talking about himself as much as anything. He's talking about the past. He said, here's how we got to where we are. Here's what has gone on in my life and all of these things that have happened and brought us to that. And that's why I'm going to say the things I'm going to say. That's what leads us up to this. And it, it's good to know that stuff. It's good to get that in place. Say, oh, now I know why you're saying this. And so he leads up to this and all that God has done and all that's gone on and why he's an apostle and how he got to this point and what God has done to lead him up to that. So all of that is in here. And Paul gets very personal. It's a history. The other things have been written. This letter recounts so many of those events and connections that lead up to that. And now it's time to challenge their thinking. And he offers a phrase a little bit later, or, or he's offered it a little bit earlier, in the idea of my words to you were not yes and no. There were no equivocations there, but a definite yes. In other words, I wasn't half-hearted. I wasn't equivocating. I wasn't skeptical. I mean, it wasn't something you couldn't understand. It was straightforward. It was plain, and you could get it. It said, so, therefore, therefore. And so he unloads. And I want you to think about something as he as we begin to think about that, and we'll get to that in a moment. I think there are some, some points of great motivation that we find in history. History of literature, speeches, and so forth. There's some of those things that, that really get us, and I think that's what we're getting to here. But some things that get us, and you think about that, and think, think about some of those great moments of motivation that come in. Consider this one. It says... I've got to go, Rock. It's all right. I'm not afraid. Sometime, Rock, when the team is up against it, when things are wrong and the brakes are beating the boys, ask them to go in there with all they've got and win just one for the Gipper. I don't know where I'll be then, Rock, but I'll know about it. And I'll be happy. I think most of us have just brought that all down to just 
just win one for the giver. Well, that's, of course, if you saw the movie, you can still see the movie and everything, and you, you can have Ronald Reagan saying that, and, and all. It, it's an impressive, but it's, it's that thing, and we've used it, haven't we? Let's win one for the giver. We know what that means, don't we? Motivation. But we've had so many of them. You think Jefferson and Adams put in into the, the Declaration of, uh, of Independence, those words that people hold on to, and you hear them recited from time to time. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal and that they are endowed by the Creator with certain inalienable rights. And among those, among those, are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Or Lincoln. Lincoln, as he proclaimed, as he proclaimed in that most notable speech of his, it is rather, it is rather for us to be here dedicated to the great task remaining before us, that from these honored dead we take increased devotion to the cause for which they gave the last full measure of devotion, that we here highly resolve that these dead shall not have died in vain. That this nation under God shall have a new birth of freedom and that government of the people, by the people, and for the people shall not perish from the earth. Motivating words. Powerful, aren't they? All of these. We might add to them Joshua's challenge to the Israelites. Choose this day whom you'll serve. And he goes on to say whether the gods back beyond the river or those. He said, choose this day whom you'll serve, but as for me and my house. We will serve the Lord. We like motivational words, don't we? We like words that stir us. We like speeches and literature that get to us, that bring a tear to the eye, bring the heart to begin to, to pound hard within our hearts. When it says of Peter's words on that Pentecost, it, they were cut to the heart, it means it got their hearts pounding in their chest. And what Paul was doing was that very thing. And I think the words that he expresses here since we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we do not lose heart. Those are powerful words. So as we look at ourselves, the task before us is that of living and living well. Our late great friend, Billy Smith, Noted one time to me as we were talking together and walking along, and I, I, as far as I know, I was the only one that was hearing him. We went with some other preachers, and he said, what do you believe God expects of us? And I thought, well, here's a question out of the blue that might take all day to get done. What does God expect of us? And I kind of hemmed and hawed, and I said, well, you know, I, 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 I don't know exactly what you mean. I I think God expects a lot of things out of us. And he says, he said, you know what I've come to conclude? God expects us to live. To live. And within that to do, do so with the character of Christ in all that we do. That he just wants us to live. What did Jesus say? John 10 and verse 10. The others are thieves and robbers that came, but I've come that you might have life and have it abundantly. What does God want? He wants us to live. I think that's what Paul is getting to. That's what he's trying to get across to these people here. 
expects us to live. I believe that the challenge put forward in this message to the church in Corinth and us to us as well is the idea of living. Notice what he says. He says, we have this ministry. We each have a ministry. We use the word ministry in a pretty limited fashion quite often. Uh, but really the word ministry just simply means an offering of service. That's all it means. It means we have an opportunity to serve. Peter writes in, in 1 Peter 4 and verse 10, that because God has given us such a great gift of grace, we ought to minister, we ought to minister to one another in a similar way. What a great thought. We are to be ministers to one another. Other places we say serve one another. Jesus taught that very, very thing by example. See, ministry is not just a work of professionals. It's not just higher-ups in governments someplace. It's not just guys that stand in pulpits. We often might say, and it, it's become a, a term, who's your minister there? What do you do? Are you a minister? I said, well, I, I like to think I am. And all people often walk up to me and say, well, you're a minister? I said, well, they let me preach every now and then, and I'm not sure why. But, you know, I, I, I like playing with words, but I understand the word has broader concepts. We put a person into a pulpit to serve us, to give us something that we need, to, to share with us what beneficial to our lives. That's the idea of ministry. It's a term describing a lot of opportunities. Notice what Jesus does in his story at the, towards the middle to end of Matthew 25. When he talks about the judge standing before the sheep and goats and everything, and he says to, to those, he said, enter into my rest. Why? Because... You fed me, you clothed me, you visited me when I was sick and in prison. He said, Lord, when did we do that? When did we do that? They said, he said, as often as you did it to the least of my brethren, you did it to me. That's ministry, broad spectrum, the things that you can do. The converse of it is stated there as well. When you did not do it to the least of these, my brethren, you did it not to me. So whether it's initiated by being drawn in or drafted to something, or whether it's done because you're seeking that, it's what you desire to be and to do, allowing it to become a passion makes it far more than just a job or a profession. It makes it a ministry. And a ministry may not be the thing that you imagined doing. Ask a little child, a little boy, what he wants to do when he grows up. He says, I want to go into service. I just want to serve people. They don't think about that. They think about excitement. They think about, as they get older, their parents start thinking about getting them in jobs that make money because they want them to take care of them when they get old. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but uh, how many say, well, I want to I I be a servant. not always appealing, but when you, we grow and we begin to see an opportunity to do something that benefits people, that, that does a good thing for others. But it may not be the thing you imagine doing. Think about Moses. Moses spent 40 years leading the Israelites, the rebellious people. You might say, well, he was a powerful man. Yes, I understand it was a powerful position in a lot of ways, but it wasn't what he wanted to do. 
When the Lord confronted him in Exodus, two, uh, Exodus 3, when the Lord confronts him there at the, that proverbial burning bush and tells him what he's gonna, he wants him to do, Moses says, why me? I'm not the one, Lord. I'm not the one to do this. But you know what? He did it anyway. And we got to say he did it fully. He did it with his heart. It may not be the thing you imagine doing. Amos didn't imagine being a prophet of God, and when he's confronted about himself, he says, I was neither a prophet nor a son of a prophet. I was a, I was a shepherd in a, in a tree, a, a guy that took care of trees. He didn't see himself as a messenger of God. Sycamore trees, I believe. Amos 7. The point is, you don't have to be a celebrity. You don't have to be a star. You don't have to have everything go your way. It's just a matter of being able to serve. Sometimes we just want, if everything's right and everything's going my way and it pleases me, then that's what I'll do. You know, when I was growing up, my friends and I used to play football in the side yard of the house and all. We thought we had a great field there, found out it wasn't very big anyway. But we loved it and we went out there, we played football. And uh, this was back in the day when kids didn't have very many toys. I want you to feel sorry for me about that. But the kids didn't have a lot of toys. Between about six or eight of us, there was one football. One football. Toby, the youngest of three brothers, owned the football. And guess who always wanted to have his way? Toby. And when things didn't go his way, we didn't get, didn't get to play the game or play the part that he wanted to play in the game when we were playing together. You know what Toby would do? Take his football and go home. But aren't we that way sometimes? Yes, Lord, we'll minister, we'll serve, and we'll do these things as long as it goes the way I want. But when it won't go the way I want it to go, I'm going to take my toys and I'm going to go home. Be careful, people. Sometimes we act a lot like little children. They came to John the Baptist with their questions. We mentioned him this morning, you know. They came to John the Baptist with their questions. What should they do in Luke 3? Generally, he says, be kind and generous, benevolent toward one another. If you've got two coats, give, give to somebody who doesn't have a coat. He was just kind of setting some, some, some ideas out there for them. To tax collectors, he says, collect only what you're appointed to collect. Don't use your position and take more than you should, even if you can. Soldiers, don't use your position to intimidate people and get out of them what you want them out of them and, and extort people in some way or another. And I never really made the connection. I never really fully made the connection. So you can think about how dumb I am sometimes. Never really made the connection. But John tur then turns it to himself and he says, realize, realize, I'm just a guy here to baptize you with water, but the real thing's coming. And he'll come and baptize with the Holy Spirit. I didn't make the connection, but John's saying, I'm just a servant in this. The Lord called me into this, put me into this. I'm in a ministry here. This isn't, if I was picking out a place, I want to be the top dog. I don't want to be the guy that's leading the way. I want to be the top dog. But John just says, Realize I'm the guy that's baptizing with water. 
That doesn't make him unimportant. That doesn't make him less. It just says, that's where my ministry is. The, the most and maybe the best ministry that's ever going to be done is not done typically inside the walls of a building like this. The best ministry that is done is done in the connections of your life, family, friends, co-workers, whoever it may be. There's where ministry takes place. It's with the people you're with, the people you go out and play with, the people that you go and work with, the people that you spend time with every day. That's where ministry takes place. That's where we affect people's lives. Ministry isn't something that is done so much inside this building. Yes, do we encourage and develop and, and, and devote ourselves to one another? Absolutely. That, I, I'm with that. I understand. But the real ministry is done on a daily basis. So Paul then reminds them. And when you get into this, remember how good God has been to you. God has been good to each of us. John says, God is love. Absolutely. I could have stopped there and you could have said that, couldn't I? God is love. For most of us, for most of us, that's not surprising. That doesn't catch us off guard because it would be hard to claim that he has not shown. It would be hard to claim that he has not shown benevolent love to us. That verse in Romans 5 and verse 8, that statement there in Romans 5 and verse 8 that says, but God demonstrated his love for us. And it talks about what he did in Jesus. And we've got that. But it's even big, even more than that, isn't it? It's not just Jesus. It's large and great and, and demanding as that is. It's about a whole of God's work has been out of love for us. From morning to evening, from evening to morning, every day. God's love is obvious to us. And if we're really honest, and if we even humble ourselves at all, we may ultimately be brought to ask, what have I ever done to deserve, as the song says, even one of the blessings I've known? It's not about our deserving. We just have to admit God's been awfully good to us. It would be good for us, as the old song says, to stop and, and, and just for a little while, count our blessings. Go through a list of some. Just hit some of them along the way. Remind ourselves. We can't get them all, but we could hit some of them. Go through a list of 10 or 12 at a time and say, look what God's done for me. And be reminded. You can start with the most basic, and it doesn't take very long for that list to, <laughs> to get going. So serving our ministry is about recognizing what God has done for us. And it's kind of like that debt that is not legally recorded but placed on our hearts. I feel like I owe. And I was noticing something that a notable person had done and established this week. There was an article in the paper, and this guy had, had done this. And it reminded me there are some people of celebrity status, if you want to call it that, who do some some very generous things. And I know some of them do it because they set up foundations. It's a tax deal for them or something. But you know what? I like generosity wherever generosity is. But I think about things, and we see those advertisements all the time for Danny Thomas and St. Jude's and things like that. And you think, you didn't have to do that. And so many others. Uh, just an example. They didn't have to do that. But when you recognize how good God has been to each of us, 
the natural response is, as Peter says, to serve one another. And then add to it, and add to it. Here it is. Add to it, no discouragement. We will not be discouraged. And it is a matter of heart. Not the blood pump in our body. Yeah, that thing gets fired up when we, we get up and we get down or whatever it might be. But it is a matter of heart. We're talking about the spirit, the nature, the character that is within us. That's what we're talking about. We will not allow this to go down. Quite a number of years ago when I was a very young preacher working as an associate and I was out to lunch with some other preachers and a couple of things that happened. I was really kind of put out and very young and so I was discouraged. I'm walking with our visiting preacher who was there holding a meeting for us and he said, he said, uh, something to me and he says something bothering you I said man I'm really discouraged and he said I take exception to that and I thought <laughs> you take exception to what that I'm discouraged and he said Russ I'm going to tell you something you can be disappointed and that's going to happen but you don't have time you don't have a reason to be discouraged be disappointed, yeah, but don't be discouraged. Because when you get discouraged, you lose. Wow. I didn't know what to say to him. I was just a young kid, young college student. I didn't even know what discouragement was really then. But he was right. It's a matter of the heart. It's not a matter of the events around us. It's a matter of the heart and how we handle them and what we're going to do with them. It's about our character. It's about our spirit. It's about that nature, that attitude within us. Uh, think about that. David had a heart for God, and he never really let it go. David made his mistakes along the way, but he had a heart for God. That's what Samuel told. Samuel said, He's gonna, God wants a man after his own heart, 1 Samuel 13. And David was that one. But there are those who, I think, they don't really understand that. They want to hold on to ideas, or they've got energy and determination, but they've got no real heart. You know, Isaiah, and over in Matthew, uh, Jesus quotes it in Matthew 15. He said, this, this people honor me with their mouths, praise me with their lips. What did he say? Their hearts are far from me. They don't have a heart for God. There are people who, uh, who who do things but don't have the heart. And he says, we will not be discouraged. If you don't have the heart, discouragement is just standing around the corner waiting for you to jump on you and say, oh, that's it with that. A young friend came and spoke to us in Guthrie. He had just moved to town. He got up and he talked about it. And one, one evening he, he, he was talking about, all right, he was talking about one evening going out and making some visits and realizing how few people wanted to go and make any visits. And he went around and he, he found people in their homes and everything, and he said, why did I do this? Just wanted to give up. He said, man, I really got discouraged. He said, and then I realized, well, no, this is, this is my job. What they do is up to them. Because we're talking about personal Enduring persistence. I think perhaps the greatest challenge of living the Christian life 
is that matter of endurance. And to endure takes heart. The 10th chapter of Hebrews, the writer is reminding us, it takes endurance. God has given us, we've come this far, we've done this much. You need endurance to gain the prize. He said to get the prize at the end. It may be a matter of, of dumping off some extra things. It may be a matter of avoiding some things in our lives. It may be a matter of putting off the extra baggage that weighs us down. As the, the Hebrew writer, Hebrews writer tells us in the 12th chapter, laying aside every weight and the sin that does so easily beset us. It may be a matter of getting rid of that extra baggage in life, the things that you don't need to carry around with you to keep your heart and to be enduring. I think as Christians, if we're going to live, we've got to look at life as a distance race and not a sprint. And those are very different kind of animals. The sprint, you expend everything you got as much as you can, and you let it fly with everything. And then when you're done, you're done. That's it. But endurance races, I've got a long ways to go, and you find out how you can best get there. The Israelites left Egypt with a lot of excitement, a lot of fanfare, and the Egyptians were ready for them to go. They weren't in the wilderness very long at all until they were saying, it would have been better to be back in Egypt. They lost their heart and they lost their endurance. You need the heart for the journey. I think a Sunday night crowd like you are people that have the heart. So the challenge is to look to yourself and find your heart. To do that, you need example, you need fellowship, and you need character. An example, look to Jesus, the writer of Hebrews again, looking to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him despised the shame, endured the cross, sat down on the right hand of the throne of God. Verse 2 of Hebrews 12. Fellowship, we need Christians. We need Christians in our lives. I think you know that, and I think you do it. it it's something that we're, when we're more comfortable spending time with people who are not Christians than with Christians. Too often that's the case, I'm afraid. But again, the writer of Hebrews reminds us again back in that 10th chapter, verse 23, to hold fast that confession of faith that's in us in verse 24. We, we often look to verse 25, but in verse 24, he says, let's see how we can provoke or excite one another to love and good works and not forsake the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is. In other words, be together. I know we've, we've tied that, and I used to use that a lot. You need to be here on Sunday morning and not forsake the assembling of yourselves together. It's not just getting together for worship he's talking about. It's about exciting, provoking, motivating one another in love and good works, fellowship with fellow Christians. And thirdly, look to your character. Ask yourself who you really are, who you really want to be. We spent time so many times, it's one of my favorite passages in Philippians 2, have the mind in you that was in Christ Jesus. Have the heart that was in, in you that was in Christ Jesus, that humble, submissive, surrendering, and elevated Lord. 
became obedient unto death, even the death on the cross. Have the character and know, know who you are. And if you're not who you want to be, work on being who you desire to be. So I'll leave it with you at that. And see, verse 1 was really as far as I could get with this this evening. Since we have this ministry, as we have received mercy from God, we do not lose heart. Boy, it's one of those powerful passages, isn't it? Just one verse, but what a powerful passage it is. Don't allow discouragement to have a place in your life. As the bit man told me, disappointments will happen, but they need to be seen as just something to help you see the best route or the alternate routes to gaining the ultimate goal in your life. We do not, we will not lose heart. We'll sing that song of encouragement this evening that Jim has for us. Perhaps there's someone who needs to respond this evening. If you do, let this be your opportunity. It is our privilege to share time together as a family. And if there's a need that you have, you need to bring this evening, please do so as we stand and sing together.